I'm Nick Harvey Doyle, a Ngunnawan man from the northern tablelands of New South Wales. The Yarn podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong people. We'd like to acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Thomas Phillips. Melbourne's West has a pollution problem, and residents are fed up with government inaction. This week, you'll hear about original reporting from students working on two separate projects. One looking into freight truck exhaust fumes, Another, investigating years of fires at a landfill near residential property. Both issues are severely affecting local health. The projects are part of a special series called Neighbourhood Watch, which puts a local spotlight on burning issues. Student reporters from The Citizen collaborated on these articles with The Age and Right Now, a not-for-profit online magazine focused on human rights. First up, my interview with Jade Murray about her reporting on Maribyrnong, the smallest and most densely populated suburb in metropolitan Melbourne. Maribyrnong is home to one of Melbourne's busiest freight truck routes, and exhaust pollution is making its residents sick. I started by asking Jade about the health impacts of the crisis. So we spoke to Glenn Yates, who's 46 years old. He has two children, his youngest in primary school. Glenn doesn't smoke and he's of average weight, but recently he was diagnosed with a suite of health problems, including asthma. Yates lives 20 metres off Somerville Road, which is one of Melbourne's main residential freight routes. And chronic illnesses such as his are consistent with those caused by exposure to diesel exhaust. And they're being seen amongst so many more people in the city of Maribyrnong. You write about how diesel exhaust is an especially harmful pollutant. What makes these tiny exhaust particles so dangerous? Well, in urban areas, the air we breathe is polluted with damaging chemicals that come from industry emissions, construction debris, coal-fired energy plants, smoke and vehicle engines. So the most harmful pollutant is particulate matter. And these are really fine, dangerous particles, which we inhale into our lungs and absorb into our bloodstream. And from there, they can become lodged in tissue and organs. The smaller the particle, the harder it is to measure and the more harmful it is to humans. So there is coarse particulate matter and there's fine and there's ultra fine. And ultra fine particulate matter is the most dangerous because it's the smallest and the ultra fine particulate matter cannot be measured by the Victorian Environment Protection Agency's monitoring stations. And that's really scary because we don't have a clear picture of how much pollution is in the air across Victoria and not enough is being done to measure and regulate that. The article also mentions some alarming data on chronic illness rates. How do health issues in Maribyrnong compare to the rest of Australia? So Maribyrnong residents are being hospitalised with respiratory and cardiovascular issues in really big numbers compared to the rest of Australia, according to research at Deakin University that we looked into. And that's chronic illnesses like heart failure, stroke, 
asthma and other heart and pulmonary diseases, which are really exceeding the Australian average in Maribyrnong. And we learnt that from research led by health expert Dr. Kate Lysett. So in the city of Maribyrnong, 60% more people are admitted to hospitals for heart failure compared to the rest of Australia. So your team made a timeline of pledges made by the Andrews government on this issue, most of which haven't been delivered. Can you give listeners an overview of how this has played out since 2018? Yeah, so in 2018, the Inner West Air Quality Community Reference Group was given two years and $60,000 to produce a report. And they made a comprehensive list of mitigation strategies for the Inner West, short, medium and long-term recommendations that prioritise regulatory reform across the state, including low emission vehicle zones, a clean port program and public transport improvements. And the state government's response largely ignored those recommendations. And they came out with the clean air strategy in 2018 that was largely focused around five big build projects, including the Melbourne Metro Rail Tunnel Project and the Westgate Tunnel Project. Health and infrastructure experts say that only two of those rail projects will reduce pollution in the inner west. We started really looking into the Westgate Tunnel project, which is now expected to cost like $10 billion. And the government claims that it would provide a solution to funnel underground more than 9,000 trucks, which would otherwise use residential streets. But we spoke to Dr. Lynn Dennison, a technical advisor and former principal scientist at the EPA. And she said in 2017 that the project would not remove trucks from residential roads, just push them onto different streets. Has the government done anything else to improve the air quality in Maribyrnong? Well, air purifiers were installed in state schools as a part of the government's pandemic response, but they've had this fortuitous effect on air quality in classrooms that are nearby truck through fares. And these are high-efficiency purifiers that are capable of washing out even ultra-fine particles from the air, meaning that they also filter out diesel exhaust and COVID-19. But air purifiers or regulators weren't really involved in the clean air strategy. You also write about how Australia is lagging behind the 38 other member countries of the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development on this issue. Why are we doing so badly? Well, Victoria actually has one of the oldest trucking fleets within the OECD. And according to a 2022 Grattan Institute report, 14% of the fleet were manufactured before 1996. And they're emitting 60 times the particulate matter of a new truck. While chronic illnesses prevalent within the city of Maribyrnong are consistent with those caused by exposure to diesel exhaust, The problem is really across Australia, and scientists and experts say that our country isn't taking the easy steps to mitigate air pollution, and we won't be able to ignore the issue much longer. That was Jade Murray. Next, an interview with Violet Lee and Marilyn Tan about their reporting on Keelbert, a suburb 15 kilometres northwest of Melbourne CBD. Over the last four years, fires have burned at a Keelba landfill. Residents describe the smell as intolerable. According to the Environment Protection Authority, more than 10,000 complaints have been made. But even though the authority revoked the site's license in January, 
the landfill is expected to continue burning until next year. I started by asking Violet how the fires are impacting local health. Every time the fire gets very strong, there will be very strong odor all over the neighborhood. So the residents would just report to EPA, which is Environmental Protection Authority. So according to the reports, the basic health conditions happening on the residents are like coughing, nauseous, dizziness, and some of them even develop asthma. Can you tell us a bit about what the residents you spoke to said about how it's affecting their day-to-day life? They are angry and they're, and they're really frustrated. I mean, these fires have been burning since November 2019. You know, living with the smell, waking up to the smell, smelling every day. They're just really frustrated and they're frustrated that the EPA is taking so long to act. So one of our interviewees, she mentioned that they cannot go out and they cannot have events in the garden. They cannot open their windows. There's a lot of things they cannot do. And some of them even mentioned that their sleep has been impacted by the odour. And... Recently, we heard that the last hotspot will take another 12 to 18 months to be completely remediated. Residents are really frustrated living near a landfill, which I can totally understand because it's really smelly. Imagine smelling rotten eggs. It's a horrible smell day in, day out. It's really tough for residents. And can you tell listeners a little bit about what's causing these fires or hotspots within the landfill? I mean, the EPA said that the hotspots were likely due to oxygen entering the landfill and combusting with the old decomposing waste, and that's what's causing the fires. There were four hotspots at one point in time, and now there's, there's only one left. So the site is privately owned and operated by the Barrow Group. Can you tell us a bit about who the Barrow Group is and how they run the landfill? Barrow Group is basically a private company. They're not listed. They are just managed by this second-generation Barrow family members. This company is an independent supplier of concrete and coral. So usually they just operate across the coral sites and the concrete sites. This landfill is actually their first landfill. There's two key directors in the Barrow group, Ronda Barrow and Raymond Barrow. So Ronda Barrow, she's a director of the St. Vincent's Institute's Medical Research Foundation Board, and she has had some involvement with this Italian welfare organization, Coesit. And Raymond Barrow, he is part of Ed Bryce Safety, Health, Environment and Sustainability Committee. And that committee's objective is to assist Ed Bryce to conduct business in an ethical, safe manner. And people feel that, you know, what they're doing here, st- sitting on these committees, sitting on these boards, kind of stands in stark contrast to what they are doing with the, with the landfill, letting the fires go on for more than three years. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, the EPA and Barrow Group both say the fires pose no permanent health risks. But a monitoring station shows air quality near the landfill is frequently unsafe. Can you tell us a bit more about these findings? Barrow is required by EPA to monitor the air quality there. So every month we would produce a very long report. Basically, they monitored VOCs, volatile organic compounds, airborne chemicals that were easily evaporated into the air and may have some harmful effects on human beings' health. So every month they would analyze 77 VOCs. So when they were analyzing the VOCs, they would put a threshold there, a level, so if the numbers are above that threshold, they would say it would contribute to a bad long-term health. If it's below that, they would just say, okay, it's fine, it's not harmful at all. And we found out that there are even three days every month 
the air quality is considered poor, compared with other data in other suburbs of Melbourne, this air quality result is still not very satisfactory. So residents they are not happy with this, and they report that to EPA. But EPA just said, okay, it's fine. It didn't make EPA like emphasize the issues. And just going back to what we said earlier about volatile organic compounds, we looked at three different ones. I mean, they analyzed 70, 77 VOCs, but in our article, we looked at three different ones, Freon-11, Freon-12, and benzene. The EPA said that the risk of chronic health impacts from benzene is low, and Freon-11 and 12 may arise from other background sources like refrigerant gases disposed in the, in the landfill, but... You know, we did we did some research on these gases, and we found that freon eleven can damage the heart, nervous system, and liver. While freon twelve can overexposure to it can cause loss of concentration, dizziness, and benzene can cause drowsiness, headaches, dizziness, and a lot of other symptoms like anemia, skin irritation, and so on. So while EPA said that it's not a danger, I mean the research tells a different story. There are cases in America. They found out that uh, the equipment they are they are using to monitor the air quality is just not good enough. Good enough. You can't capture some of the VOCs. So, but we don't know about the case here in terms of Cuba landfill, in terms of Barry's Barry Group's case, because we have nowhere to test it. But since the residents are having so many health conditions, we speculate that there might be something they just couldn't detect, and that might contribute to some of the health conditions happening on the residents. But still, it's very hard to verify that. And just we don't have the related experts. But that's, that's one of our regrets. We can't test that. So the EPA finally revoked the Barrow Group's license to operate the landfill back in January. But as you mentioned, one of its hotspots will continue burning for more than a year to come. Why is this happening? So apparently in October, October last year, residents were told that remediation work was 90% complete. But in December, okay, EPA said that Barrow admitted in December that an additional 100,000 cubic meters of waste needed to be excavated to put the final hotspot out. And the EPA advised that this would take another 12 to 18 months. So it cannot be completed yet. And you could, we could see residents suffering for a really long time. So one thing I have to mention is that license being revoked doesn't equal the land fire suddenly being put out. Revoking the license for barrel just means that they can't take more rubbish, more material to uh, process in their landfill. It sounds like the EPA isn't doing much to support residents. Are residents doing anything themselves to take matters into their own hands? So I, I attended this protest in September and it was run by the Victorian Socialists and the landfill run by the Barrow Group was one of the key topics and they were talking about how Barrow Group get out of town, the West is not your dumping ground. And I spoke to some people there, election candidates in the state election, and they said that residents in Melbourne's West are disproportionately affected by the landfills and they said that this isn't happening in Turok and Kew in Melbourne. It's in working class areas that we get walked all over. And it's true, I mean, the fires are burning. People's lives are getting impacted negatively. I think it's high time something is done to support these people. And I think, you know, clean air is right. Clean air is something we are all entitled to, something, something we should all have. And no one should be deprived of this right to clean air. 
That was Violet Lee and Marilyn Tan. A massive thank you to Gina McCall for her work on this project, as well as reporters Jade Murray, Violet Lee, Marilyn Tan, Helena Morgan, James Costa, and Sasha Ganemeyer. You can read their Neighborhood Watch articles in The Citizen, The Age, and Right Now. The yarn is from the Center for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. It's produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. I'm Thomas Phillips. See you next week.